Hello, and welcome to another episode of Whole and Complete Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Shantae, and Whole and Complete is all about faith and wellness, loving God and living well. Well, welcome to part two of the Relationship with Money series. I have gotten feedback from you all about the first episode, and I'm glad that it is resonating with you. I think that this is something that honestly just hits all of us. All of us in some way, shape, or form have had some interaction with money and we have a relationship with money and I think it's important to interrogate that relationship especially before we go into the holiday spending season (laughs) Um, so let's make sure that we are just really clear about what that relationship looks like before we make any more fiscal purchases and just really kind of hone in on how we're feeling emotionally and all the other things about this money relationship As I said, it is really hard to capture all of the money things in a single series. Like it it was really a struggle to just kind of like condense this information into the meatier parts so that we could still continue with our regular pattern. But I mean, I, I understand why people have built their entire platforms on finance and have done very well with it because there's just so much. But I will do the best I can do in part two of this episode. So I want to remind you of the guiding scripture that we have, which is coming from 1 Timothy chapter 6, 17 through 19. And it reads as thus, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up for themselves treasure as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And that life that is truly life, obviously, the Bible is always talking about eternal life and the things that are to come. So today we are talking about money stories, enoughness and healing the relationship. Let's go. So as a reminder, we're talking about money relationship and the definition of relationship that we're using in this series is the way in which two people, two objects or concepts are connected. And so I wanted to share my money story with you so that you can understand how I became connected to the idea of money. And I'm going to be referencing two books throughout this episode. One of them is called The Art of Money by Barry Tesler, B-A-R-I Tesler, and The Soul of Money by Lynn Twist. And I will put information about both of those books in the show notes. So if you're reading kind of like the description of this episode, that information will be in there. But one of the things that Barry really hones in on at the beginning of her book is our money story. That is our earliest ideas of money, right? Our early money memories. And this may not be the earliest ever, but this one was pretty significant and it stands out for me. And It's an important question because our money orientation, the way that we came to know money, understand money, have ideas about the concept of money really comes to set the stage for how we think about not just money, but how we think about ourselves. And for me, my earliest money memory was being a kid on the south side of Chicago, and I was probably not more than five or six And I distinctly remember standing on tiptoe to take some coins off my mother's dresser. I think I needed the money for like the ice cream truck or for penny candy because there was a lady on the block who sold it out of her house. And I remember a day or two later being asked about it. Like, what happened to those coins? Ashante, do you know what happened to this money? 
And once I realized that my mother could potentially be upset about it, I pulled and I don't know, you know, I pleaded the fifth. I acted like I didn't know anything about it. And when I think back on it, the real question isn't why did I take the money, but why didn't I just ask for it, right? Why would I just take it? Why wouldn't I just ask? I knew it wasn't mine. I knew that these are not coins that I had manufactured or earned in some way, shape or form. I knew that they belonged to somebody else. Why didn't I just ask for the money? Why didn't I just ask for what I needed? And the answer to that question laid the groundwork for decades of struggle for me. The reason why I didn't ask for what I needed is because I believed at that time and for many years that I was a burden. At some point early in my development, I noticed that asking for things came with lectures or a dirty look or a funky attitude. You know, you ask little kids say, hey, can I have a cookie? Or hey, can I have an ice cream cone? And then you get, why you always begging? Why you always asking for stuff? Why you can't never be satisfied with what you got? You know, you know, so it was that type of thing, you know? So at, at some point early in my development, I had had enough of those interactions. And because of that, I had made a decision not to ask for money or for help or for anything if I could figure out a way to do it myself. So when I saw the coins on the dresser, I was like, well, I can access these. I'll just get them myself. And what this did, these types of interactions, what that created was this deep sense of shame, not just about asking for money, but about asking for anything, period, okay? In the next series, we're going to be talking about our relationship with God, which, ooh, child, if you think <laughs> the money series is a toughie, that one is going to be a toughie. But we're going to be talking about that relationship. And I just want you to imagine that if at six years old, I was already teaching myself to rely on myself, you can only imagine how this set me up for failure with a God who is all about relationship. Self-reliance does not work in a relationship with God who wants you to be reliant upon him. But I, I digress. We will get into that in the next series. But my money story set me up for failure with money in so many ways. I was one of those kids who grew up watching their mother cover the dining room table with all the bills and the checkbook. And, you know, she used to tell me that she was robbing Peter to pay Paul. And so what I learned was that money was a source of struggle, that it did not grow on trees. How many of you heard that growing up? Money don't grow on trees. Um, you know, my clothes were always the ones that had to be put on layaway. Now, let me pause here. I know I have millennials that listen to this show. I want y'all to Google layaway. Y'all might not know nothing about the layaway, honey. Okay, layaway was when you would go into a store pick out all the clothes you wanted. And because you could not pay for them all right then and there, they had a system called layaway, which means you put a little something on it <laughs> to secure the clothes. And then you made subsequent payments until you could pay for all the clothes. And then you went home with your purchases. But you know, you young people don't know nothing about that. Okay. 
So I never had the latest cross colors or Jabot jeans or Carl Kanai. And again, if you're a millennial listening to this show, you have no idea what I just said. But please know that these were the brands that were the ish back in the days, okay, back in the 90s. So I never had fresh J's. I never had fresh Jordans. My shoes came from Kmart and Venture. Some of y'all are too young to even know what Venture is. Uh, but, you know, Payless. And all of my shoes came attached with a little plastic loop that connected them. That that's how I grew up. That was that was my life. Okay, Th those are my economic circumstances. And I always felt a sense of shame because I didn't have the latest or the newest or the best. So was it any surprise to anybody when I was arrested my senior year for retail theft? I know some of y'all just clutched the pearls like. <gasps> Dr. Shantae, I just would have never thought. But, you know, if you read my book, Believe in Bigger, A 31-Day Faith Journey, you knew this already. <laughs> so get that book, shameless plug. I grew up believing that not having meant not being. I'm going to repeat that. I grew up with this strong sense, this strong belief that not having meant not being not being cool, not being worthy, not being accepted, not being enough. I used to believe that the people who had these things, they were better. They were better people, that their families were better, that their families were smarter, that they had had it figured out. So is it any wonder that I graduated from college with seven credit cards and no job? Why am I telling you this? Because your relationship with money begins with a story. If money is overwhelming for you, if money is intimidating to you, if money makes you feel insecure, if money is everything to you, or if the thought of having money or not enough money makes you feel anxious and debilitated, you have to get to the root of that. For me, money has created so much shame in my life to the point where one year, I missed the filing deadline for my taxes. I was just overwhelmed with everything that was going on in my life. And it got to a point where April 15th had come and gone and I had not filed those taxes. And then one year turned into two years and then two years turned into three years. Y'all, I did not file my taxes for five years. I was drowning in shame and overwhelm and could not bring myself to ask for help. My accountant actually is who pulled me out of that ash and practically force filed my taxes. It was like, look, we gonna get this together because this is no, <laughs> like we just not gonna let you go out like that. And here I was with a whole doctorate, right? All this education had built a whole platform, launched this podcast with this significant following, telling people how to have faith and believe bigger and go and see and do, and did not have the wherewithal to file my own taxes. And I beat myself up relentlessly over that. And we're not even going to talk about the low credit score days, baby. A few years ago, my, my score had a five in front of it. Now, you know, it's a different story. Now, you know, I have excellent credit, but that was not, listen, five years ago, that was not my text testimony, okay? And during all of this, I felt like such a fraud. I felt like a charlatan. I felt like a hypocrite. 
But the truth is, I was none of those things. I was none of those things. And I, I share this with you because I know some of you might be in that place that you feel like you should know how to do this, that you should know better, that it shouldn't have gotten to this point or that you should have been further along. All the things, all the couldas and the wouldas and the shouldas, baby, 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 I'm telling you, I have been there, okay? But was I a fraud? No. A, a charlatan, a hypocrite? No, I wasn't any of those things. What I was, was trapped in decisions that I had made at five years old. Huh? Who would trust their money to a five-year-old? I had not matured. I had grown up, but I had not matured in ways that allowed me to be fiscally responsible. All of those emotions from childhood of feeling like I wasn't worthy of help or feeling like I wasn't able to ask for things because I was going to get treated a certain kind of way or people didn't want to help me feeling like I had to rob Peter to pay Paul. All of those things were unresolved wounds that had not been healed. And as I started to heal this money relationship, I came across a word that literally changed everything for me. I'm giving you all the real kind of like short and dirty uh, cliff notes version of this, but I'm telling you all money work is deep work. You can't just rush through it. It is deep work. But the word that changed everything for me is sufficiency. Sufficiency brings us to enoughness, right? So something that I just want to keep in mind, I just want to plant the seed. If you hear nothing else out of this episode, if you wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat, I just want you to remember this sentence sufficiency is always available. So I'm going to start with this quote from Lynn Twist, and this is out of the book, The Soul of Money. And she says, what is enough? Each of us determines that for ourselves, but very rarely do we let ourselves have that experience. What is the point at which we are fulfilled, where we have everything we want and need and nothing in excess? Very few of us can recall moments where we felt like that. So this quote and some more that I'll read to you in a few minutes really kind of set the stage that forced me to think about what I really want. What do I really want? What do I really need? And what really makes me happy? We live in this world that pushes more, okay? More, more, more. That glamorizes being drunk on excess, a nicer car, another car, a bigger house, more clothes, more shoes, fancier accommodations. And for what? For what? For who? Do you know how many people have those things and are completely miserable that are in so much pain that they struggle to find reasons to stick around? Robin Williams, Kate Spade, Anthony Bourdain, do you really think they didn't have, quote unquote, enough? Do you really think they didn't have more than enough? And every time I bring that up, I know somebody says, well, that's them. You know, that wouldn't be me because I know if it was me, mm-mm, mm-mm. we're going to talk about what the money is really, the, the, the money issues are really about. And I'm telling you right now, they're very rarely about money, but we'll get there. Next quote, she says, so often we think of quote unquote abundance as the point at which we'll know we've really arrived. But abundance continues to be elusive if we think we'll find it in some excessive amount of something. True abundance does exist. It flows from sufficiency in an experience of the beauty and wholeness of what is. 
So what is sufficiency? Sufficiency is simply the idea that there is always enough. I want to repeat that. Sufficiency is simply the idea that there is always enough. Scarcity tells you that there is never enough, that resources are limited, that you have to compete and work harder just to scrape by. And listeners, I'm here to tell you that's just that's a lie. It's just not the truth. It is not the truth. Pitting people against one another to compete for quote unquote scarce resources is not the will of God. That is the will of greed and that is the will of man. But that is not God's will. That is not how it works. That is not how God's economy is set up. She also goes on to say, and this, I'm, I'm going to read this to you in full because in reading this to you, this changed so much for me. Like it literally made me pull my car over. Okay. She said that sufficiency is an experience, a knowing that there is enough and we are enough that resides in each of us and we can call it forward. It is a consciousness, an intentional choosing of the way that we think about our circumstances Sufficiency is an act of generating, distinguishing, making known to ourselves our existing resources and our inner resources. It is a context that we bring forth from within that if we look around and inside us, we will find what we need. Sufficiency is engaging from a sense of our own wholeness rather than a desperate longing to be complete. Sufficiency is the truth. I want to repeat that last part. Engaging from a sense of our own wholeness rather than a desperate longing to be complete. Y'all, when I tell you the tears that sprang up in my eyes, (laughs) I remember being in the car, hearing those words, pulled the car over and hit repeat 10, 15 times so I could write down exactly what she said. I was shooketh. Okay, I was shook. A way of knowing that I am enough? Huh? A way of knowing that there is enough? Always enough? And I could call it forward? I could operate in my daily existence from a place of enoughness? That I really am enough? That I have enough? Enough money, intelligence, courage, enough will, enough people who are willing to help me, enough faith, enough tenacity, enough, enough, enough. Daily, hourly, every breath, every minute of every day, enough that all of my needs have been supplied just like the Bible says that they have, just like God said they would be. Y'all, enoughness shifted my core. It shifted me to the marrow and bone. It erased every lie I ever believed that my enoughness was tied to anything that I had, but to everything that I am. Enoughness is about who I am and what I already bring to the table. I have enough. I am enough. Not too much, not too little. I am enough. I want you to imagine going into a business meeting, a potential deal, merger, broke, whatever, knowing that you are enough, going into a potential dating relationship, knowing that you are enough, going into the parenting dynamic, knowing that you are enough, that you are enough, that you have enough, that you are enough, that nothing on Instagram can tell you that you're not enough, regardless of the commercials you see on TV, you're enough. And 
I want you to think about what is your enough? What is your enough? What is your enough and where does it come from? What is my enough? I need enough to keep a roof over my family's head. I need enough to put food on the table. I need enough to stock the cupboards with essentials. I need enough to travel. I need enough to continue learning dance because that's my jam. In case y'all didn't know that I am a salsa dancer. I need enough to have reliable transportation. For me, it's not about a dollar amount anymore. It is a way of experiencing the joy, the literal joy of having enough, of being enough and the ability to do enough because I serve a God who is more than enough. I'm done with the chase, baby. I haven't chased all year. Every dime that has come to me and many dimes have come to me this year. Thank you, Jesus, is not one that I asked for. They came literally once. When I tell you this shifted me to the bone and marrow, once my soul (laughs) got clear and clarity that, all right, y'all, she finally gets it opportunities came out of nowhere. People were speaking my name in rooms that I didn't even know they were speaking my name in rooms in contracts were coming to me out of the woodwork. I said, I was going to start coaching again in 2022. I literally told this to my therapist. I mean, in 2021, I told this to my therapist at the end of 2020. Do you know, I have yet to really advertise that I'm still coaching because clients I'm booked. I am booked and busy straight through to the end of the year. And never once did I ever have to advertise. Baby, that is the power of enough. And I want you all to get there, but it's not an easy rose, which brings us to healing. Let's shake off these money demons, okay? So healing begins with truth. You heard Herdine Mercier say on my grief series that the grieving process cannot begin until and unless we are willing to operate in truth. Healing your relationship with money operates the same way that credit score that you are afraid to look at that bank statement that you don't want to open those taxes that you haven't filed that foreclosure notice that's then came in the mail the retirement account that you are afraid that you have not saved enough for that man or that woman that you are overly dependent on to crunch the numbers because you don't think you can do it truth healing begins with truth Barry Tesler, the author of The Art of Money, she is a really big proponent of somatic therapy, which is basically a fancy way of saying checking in with your body. And because she is a she calls herself a financial therapist, she is really big on somatic body check-ins when it comes to money. So when money issues come up, are you aware of what your body is doing? Are you tensing up? Does your heart rate increase? Does your stomach tie up in knots? Does your chest get tight? Do you get a headache? Barry invites you to, in her book, The Art of Money, she invites you to just take a moment and meditate, okay? Take some deep breaths and notice what is happening in your body and ask yourself, is there anything that you want to change so that you can condition yourself not to do these things when money issues come up? So do you want to unclench your fists? Do you want to loosen your jaw? Do you want to relax your shoulders, etc.? You would be surprised how much stress and anxiety we carry in our bodies, So as you try to heal your relationship with money, please do not overlook the mind and body connection because it's all connected. The next part of the healing journey is forgiveness. And I know this is a hard one because some of you are in the financial situation you're in because of somebody else. Someone didn't pay their half of the timeshare. 
Somebody else's tax liabilities ate up your refund. Somebody spent your college tuition on some BS. Somebody didn't pay child support. Somebody didn't share the inheritance. Somebody racked up medical debt and you got stuck with the bill. Someone made you feel powerless and voiceless because you always had less money. Do you need to get to a place where you can forgive those things? If those are the things that brought about the the situation that you're in right now? Yes. And you need to forgive yourself. You need to forgive yourself for the times that you ignored red flags, for the times that you didn't intervene sooner, for the times that you spent recklessly or didn't exercise financial discipline or charged up things that you couldn't afford or tried to keep up with the Joneses and the Instagram influencers. You need to release that. You need to be able to write the part of your story that acknowledges what happened, whether you did it or somebody else did it but is ready to release it so that you can be in a position to receive without bitterness and shame blocking the flow. Okay. The flow of money coming your way and money always mirrors our inner world. So Barry has a a chapter in here that says it's never just about the money. And she talks about how our relationship with money tends to mirror unresolved issues, suppressed emotions, et cetera. And money work. So if you're going to be doing work on healing money in your relationship with money, it usually tends to revolve around these five key issues, which are safety, enoughness, responsibility, value, and power. So the things that tend to trigger fear, shame, or anxiety are usually around the need to feel safe or secure or With respect to responsibility, we tend to be resistant to the idea of having to be responsible for money because we want somebody else to kind of swoop in and handle all of that for us or hand us a winning lottery ticket so that we don't have to fix or address our money issues. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I read this in the book and I just started chuckling because do you know I used to fantasize about that on a regular basis? I felt like, you know, as long as I just keep paying my tithes, God is going to let somebody come along and hand me a winning lottery ticket. And I just don't have to deal with any of this. Like I just, for the record, that never happened. (laughs) That never happened. And I had to deal in truth. Okay. Like I had to start with the truth and be willing to, to confront all of the things. Power. Okay, the next one, power is a big money demon. Many of us grew up listening to our parents talk about how this is my house. And as long as you living in my house and as long as I'm paying the bills. And I mean, I'm going to be honest. I may have said this once or 10 times in my parental journey. You know, don't judge me. But um, yeah, you know, we grow up (laughs) with these messages and what that can do, unfortunately. So I'm trying to repent of my sins here is it can create all kinds of insecurity and myths about money and identity. Because let me just tell you something, okay? Let me give you a tip. Money does not change people. It exposes them, okay? Marriage does this and so does parenting. Money, marriage, and motherhood will not, it doesn't change you. It will expose you, okay? Because it will reveal every deficit of character and every virtue that you possess. The Bible says where a man's heart is, his treasure is also Ebenezer Scrooge, who I also talked about in the last episode. Ebenezer was filthy rich, but he was morally bankrupt. He was relationally bankrupt. He was emotionally bankrupt. And too often we find ourselves in relationship with people because we're impressed by the money or, you know, we let them say certain things or, or talk to us a certain kind of way, you know, because they have money and that same enticement of money ends up being what traps us in this miserable dynamic with these people. 
you know, in our last episode, we talked about all the things that money cannot buy. So we need to tread really carefully in how we esteem people or not based on what they have. And then last but not least, we tend to struggle with money and value. So there's a phrase that you can know the cost of everything and the value of nothing. And when we associate money with our value, we can run the risk of doing things like undercharging people for the work that we provide. We don't ask for what we deserve because we don't think we're quote unquote worth that much or afraid that we can't get it. Hello, somebody. And we have to untangle this association, you know, just like we're about to spend time untangling the Christmas or the holiday lights for the tree. You have to learn how not to associate who you are with what you earn. Does your work have market value? Yes, but your work is your work. You, on the other hand, are priceless. You are precious. You are so lovable that God sent his son to die for you. And guess what? We didn't even get charged for it. Jesus paid it all. Okay. So that is where I will leave you for this episode. So next week we are going to invite an expert from the money and wealth community to talk about some practical steps to really heal this relationship and how to really dig into this money work. So if you have any questions, comments, takeaways, of course, you can hit me up at Dr. Shante says, if you have not yet reviewed this podcast and you are an Apple podcast listener user, which most of you are, because that's what my analytics tell me, please rate and review this podcast to make it easier for other people to find I thank you so much. I appreciate you and I will see you next time.